today, we are talking about something that Matthew and I, we just don't do anymore in our accounting firm. Most accountants, when you have a firm, you kind of have to do this. They all do it. But none of our partners at Acuity do it. And actually, Matthew and I are highly discouraged from doing it. Because when we do, there are problems. What is that thing? Yes, selling. We don't sell anymore. And I was thinking about this specific topic because we were at a conference this week in in Chicago, Randy Crabtree and the Trimerit team's um, Bridging the Gap conference. And you were on a panel uh, with Duke and some other folks and talking about marketing and sales. And as I observed in that panel, people were super fascinated and interested with like the things you were talking about in our sales team. So I thought I'd revisit a little bit of those here and describe the super strange, maybe different way that we do sales compared to most accounting firms. All that here on your regular happy hour conversation between a couple of guys building their accounting firm in very, very strange ways. This will be a good example of that. Uh, I'm your host, Kenji. Here's my buddy and co-host, Matthew. Uh, Matthew, have we been able to find a sponsor yet for this podcast? No, I'm like I'm gonna go. Today's episode of Drink While You Think is sponsored by Sales IQ. If you want to find Sales IQ, go to verifyiq.co and search madly on our website because it is hidden. Find Sales IQ, and you will. We're working on that, but that's okay. Think sales it's, IQ. Think of it as a game. It's, it's it's an adventure to find it, but once you do, it accelerates your sales process like no other tool in the accounting industry. And perfect tie-in. We're talking yeah. about sales anyway, so thank that's you. Why I'm, that's what inspired me for doing that. Thank you, sales like you. What are you drinking today, Matthew? Um, I'm going outside my norm, um, but I'm going with a kind of a more conventional brand. Sierra Nevada, I'm going with the Ruthless Rye IPA today. It's a 6.6 percenter, and I'm pouring it in a glass because I'm morbidly curious to see if it's dark enough for my taste, but that's all right. Rye will make it dark. That is outside your. That's outside my comfort zone, folks. Here we go. Good for you. Here's what I'm doing. A classic, a Ho Garden. That's kind of a classic one. And you're going to double us up. I bet we've already rated that one. I looked. We haven't. Let's do a quick cheers. And I want to say more about the beer real quick. Cheers. Cheers. How have we not done that one yet? No, we have not. I know. Here's why I picked this beer today. It was the lowest alcohol content beer I could find. Yeah, you did have a rough night the other night. <laughs> night? How about plurals? Let's just say these conferences, people are killers. They're no joke. And don't sleep on Chicago. Chicago, that's just Midwestern folks. I know from going up there, Chicago gets after it. We got after it. I wished nope. I had non-alcoholic beer. I almost ran into the store to get some to try it. I was too lazy to go out. That's how I decided my beer today coming out of the conference. Okay. Let's actually talk about productive things that happened at the conference, unlike things that Kenji in particular, but also even Matthew, you had a good time there too. We're doing late in the evenings. Yep. So let's talk about acuity sales and the fact that again, starting at the top, that we don't, we're not involved. We are discouraged from the sales process. Why would you say that people don't like at Acuity, Matthew, and you and I get involved with the sales process? Well, they have names for them. They call them Matthew Specials. 
Like anything Matthew's involved with, or Kenji's, Kenji has a Kenji special, Matthew has a Matthew special, they always seem to be these one-off quirky things that are inbound for some friend or family member that is out there, somebody we've known for a decade, and <clears throat> it makes everybody's head explode. Uh, so what, I think... What would you say would be the most common... Are there common themes in the Matthew and Kenji specials of like, what have, what have we typically done? Like what's usually going wrong in the Matthew and Kenji specials? Do you have any? For sure. We scope it wrong. That that's, that's number one. (laughs) That's number one. I mean, that's number one. Number two, people misquote us all the time and like overexert their like, I know Kenji, Matthew, whatever to get people outside of our normal processes. That's number two. Like they just flex and like, I know Matthew or I know Kenji. And then somebody down the road, um, the best one ever was when um, one of our teammates was like, I know Matthew too. And there's no way he said that. It was Rabia one time <laughs> holding the line on somebody. And he's like, I'm going to go talk to Matthew. And she was like, go ahead. Like he's, there's I've no way he for, said that. I've yes. known him for eight years. There's no way he said that. Like, that's a, like, that's a good awesome. reminder to our team. It was like, you, all of them pretty much know us better than these quote unquote specials. Matthew but specials. that said, yeah. nothing like setting poor expectations up front. Yes, expectations are set rather poorly when I'm involved. We can do oh, sure, yeah, we, sure we can we do, do that. Oh, I'll yeah. figure we'll figure out the price. Uh, yeah. All I'm, I'm sure we can do that. I'm sure we can do that. Yeah. So we don't set expectations, we don't scope it right. And then the people claim to like try to get something either a deal down the way or like some special side thing. Cause they think they're special. So. And that's actually not the, I mean, yes, the Matthew and Kenji specials are problematic. I'd love to see the, actually, I would not like to see the NPS scoring or the churn rates on Matthew and Kenji specials or just how it, how it negatively impacts our team on those particular cohorts of clients, because I'm sure it's awful. But that's that is actually bad. not the yeah, that's not the reason why we did it. Um I think, you know, we'll maybe get into like why we did this. And I'll say, hey, I think we we saw some opportunity to say if we're gonna scale, that will be yet one more place. We are limited if it's always dependent on you and I or any of the founders or owners selling. So it probably started with that mm-hmm. theme. Um, for sure. For sure. And I guess. We had done kind of business development at Acuity with a, a non-partner, more traditional business development, really expensive people out there going to networking groups and things. That was horrible. That didn't work. That was prior to you. It was horrible. But that was kind of the classic public accounting way, right? I mean, you had yep. let's see how these funky silos. So we're like, all right, how do you scale consistently? How do we stay out of it? Um, and so we kind of developed this sales strategy. Like, well, it's going to have to start with the big question, can, uh, well, we wanted to test, could we teach a non-accountant to sell accounting services? And that got asked in the room to you this week on your panel. And I watched people kind of around like shaking their head and like scratching like, wait, what? You mean non-accountant selling accounting services? Let's talk about that for a second. Um, why do we, Why would you say that's worked for us in having non-accountants do that? Well, it's easier to train non-accountants like it's easier to train salespeople to learn accounting language than treat accountants to figure out sales behavior. I think that's the crux of it. Yeah, I totally agree. 
completely agree. Um, I'd say another byproduct that I've noticed is I think non-accountants, and and maybe it's not just because of the good sales skills they maybe inherently have, non-accountants tend to speak to business owners, to firm owners, in Much English, more, in, a, in a common language, in English, in a common language, they don't try to get all high and mighty. Well, let me tell you why we need to have this gap accrual schedule for your, you know, they don't care. The client doesn't care. And you've got a salesperson who comes off as like, yep, I'm a regular Joe or Susie, just like you. And accounting is kind of can be a challenge. Let's talk about how we can fix that. Right. It just, there's a relatability that the, other thing account- the accountants account- are bad about. You know what accountants also try to do during sales meetings that I've found? I've observed they're more likely to try to start fixing the problem there on the phone. <laughs> Ooh, interesting. <laughs> and the salespeople can't fix it. They're not logging into QuickBooks. No. It's just uh it's it's gonna be it's it's gonna be bad. Yeah. So. It, it is. So those were some of the premises and observations we've had. Um it wasn't easy. I mean, our success rate on you know, it's not like we came up with this idea and like it worked immediately. There, we have been on quite a few people through the sales organization. Through quite a few iterations, yeah, of, of what we're trying to do. But so, so thinking about iterations, um, it has stayed kind of the same foundationally. Uh, and I'll I'll start with just saying that where we built it off of was Matthew and I were really lucky. We had a whole bunch of our Clients and I can't a lot of our friends, we all worked around in a technology co-working space. We were surrounded by people who used a different sales model than accountants use. And this is outbound sales model. And we weren't as connected in the accounting community then as we were now. We were way more connected in the tech community. So we just like leaned on our friends and fellow entrepreneurs about what they were doing and just almost overly simplistically, maybe naively, were like, well. We should probably start selling. I guess that's the way you do it. Seems different than we did in public accounting. So we took what appeared to be working in the technology space. And I remember we found that good book that we really liked, Predictable Revenue by Aaron Ross had just come out. And that was like, everybody was reading it in the tech community. It's like the big thing. And so we even handed that book out like to all of our salespeople like had to read Predictable Revenue. So we're like, we were observing, it works for other people in very different businesses, but it worked for other people. And there was like a reference guide we could kind of go back to. And that's kind of how right. it started. But do you want to talk about some of the basic principles of what that means for like a, what, if a sales organization is doing outbound, like what does that kind of look like from a 30,000 foot level? Uh, yeah, I can, but uh, you know, what's interesting. Uh, I mean, just as you're saying that, yeah. what I realized is we weren't plugged into the accounting community back then. So we didn't really have any other accounting firms to ask. So we looked to our other community, which is uh, kind of, we probably should think about that as a profession. It's like making sure we look outside our profession for some best practices in some areas sometimes. Yeah, that's a good uh, observation. I'm, uh, I've, I'm leaning more back on doing that in, because um, we try to do with that with the IT community. And with we've done that a couple of times at Acuity. That's really served us well. From it has point. served us well. Yeah, that's been a very successful strategy for us yeah. looking for inspiration outside of just the same profession we're in right yeah so but i digress there um so uh the way the the way the outbound kind of works is we have um people i'll call them appointment setters if you get sophisticated in this and you need to post a job you either call them a sales development rep or a bd or a business developer rep so a sdr or bdr so 
you have appointment centers and their whole job is to set appointments for your other role, which is your closer. And then if you post that job, you call it account executive, you don't call it closer. Uh, so you have an account executive, you have sales development rep, and that's kind of this symbiotic relationship of, uh, of kind of what the organization looks like. And depending on your industry or um, it, there's a, there's like an optimal ratio we're we're running right now uh we're running four appointment setters to one uh closer um and uh, we just added our second closer and we're going to see if inbound offsets that or if we need to to increase the number of appointment setters that we have um based on the volume because we do have some marketing traction going because everything works symbiotically there's not yeah. like you only do one thing in this place right to grow yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And then um, the appointment center is in the outbound world. So in the inbound world, like people are coming to your website, the appointment center can can just guide people through, answer questions, and get them on the closer calendar. But in the outbound world, what they do is they take what we call an ICP or an ideal client profile. And the, the ideal client profile is very specific. This is like, out in our case, I'll walk you through one of the ICPs. We have uh, about four of them that we work pretty actively, but one of them is we want to have a CEO or founder title on LinkedIn, less than 10 employees working in the technology industry with no accountants on staff. So they search the world for those people that meet that criteria. And then they just bombard them with emails and stuff like that to try to get them to our website or get them to re read an email or get them to an appointment. So they'll do, in, in our world, they'll do something like, uh, what we call like a five by eight or uh, eight by 12. So five by eight, eight by 12, five is just the number of touches. And then the second number is just the number of days you do that over on a business day. So we've experimented from anything from a five by eight to an eight by 12. So five by eight is like, would be five touches. So email, phone call, email, phone call, email over an eight business day period. I think right now we're on an eight by 12. So we do eight of those so it's just the same thing um and instead of phone call it's a voicemail usually but um email voicemail email voicemail email voicemail email email i think is what we go with right now over a 12 business day cycle right and the goal of that is to try to get people to engage to disqualify themselves anything to, to identify to make sure you're in our target market um and a potential fit so we have a couple qualifying questions they're trying to get them through but in our case the because our sales cycle is so short and because the type of client we're going after is pretty small um we try not to have our appointment setters talk too much to our to those people because they don't like repeating themselves so we want them doing most of their talking with the closer so i'll pause and breathe so you can talk. yeah you pause breathe have a drink I'll, I'll give a quick synopsis of that Again, sales role basically broken into two main functions. Acti calls, calls it appointment setter. Sometimes you'll hear about people calling prospecting. They're the ones out finding the initial leads, kind of responsibility for that. And then they set the appointment, that's the transition period, over to the closer. So prospecting, closing, those two are separated. And I would say in my experience, the why, like why do you separate that? That's not separated typically in public accounting or in other roles. Um, very, very different activities uh, on that 
prospecting role with the BDRs and SDRs, it's really high volume, very lots and lots of no's. You're managing tons of data things. It's it is transactional. Okay. So people don't like to sell transactionally, they say. But hey, it is a very, very transactional thing versus you need to get it over to the account executive who can be the who's the closer, who can focus a bit on a more of a relational consultative type of sale. And I think that what the premise in that book is just those two activities, no matter how good of a salesperson, are difficult to really manage well. Like you intermix transactional and kind of Constantly, it's just very, very difficult. So by nature, you segregate those and do them separately. But why don't understand why more accountants don't do this? It's a very numbers game. I was right? going to say that. Talk about, I, I want to get into the numbers. This so, is where we got excited. I think other accountants would get excited about this. So so yeah. So what that. our math is, we have like an appointment setter has to do a thousand individual reach outs not 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 a thousand emails like to a thousand different people results in 12 appointments which results in three new clients so for the math like to be able to do like this is why accountants can't do this job also is a thousand like reaching out to a thousand people to only get three clients what i heard was 997 people said See ya. Get out of here. Well, yeah, like 500 people just ignore you completely. (laughs) Or like 750 nowadays. Yeah, that's hard. But it's it's hard. It's hard, right? So like, but but you can measure the math at each of those places, right? And so these are your levers. And as the environment changes and email rules change and phone rules change and whatever you want changes as your inbound increases, you can kind of modify how you do it. But I do feel like we're more in control of our growth than oh, other yeah. people. Yeah. And and this is something that, so, okay. Once you get rid of the whole, like, oh my gosh, I just had so many people ignore me and say no to me. The hard part that I hate as well too. I'm, you know how relational I am. Once you get through that, oh, that upside of it being analytical of like, that's what should get accountants pretty fired up. Cause when you're in the data, you and I, I remember when, we were in this role and you and I are grinding through it and kind of sharing ideas and we'd, we'd, we'd go look at the numbers. Okay. Wh- wait, wh- why are we, why is our, why is our conversion percentage lower? And you can work backwards into the funnel as they often call it, but it's basically just looking back into your process and the tools are such that these days you can kind of watch these conversion rates of where these prospects and leads fall out. And you can start drawing some conclusions as to, why? Like, oh, why are they all dropping out after this email or a bunch of them mark you as spam, whatever it is? And like, well, let's, let's go analyze that email. Does the subject line stink? Is it like, is it dumb? Is there something in there that we did? You know, what's in or is the, it not? Wor- is it not dumb enough? Don't, not dumb enough. That's the thing. What's the wording in it? And so uh, you can, I won't say gamify it, but you can really go back and look through and figure out and experiment, run lots of experiments. Small iterations. We were never good at small iterations. We like to do too many things at once, so we didn't know often. Well, the team now is great at small iterations. Yeah. Yeah. Once again, another reason why you let the team do things versus me and Matthew, because we said we had, and we probably had some of our funny, crazy things we did in that sales function because of just crazy ideas that you and I used to have. Um, Yeah, we do do stupid stuff. Yeah, that's that's kind of how that's kind of how it works. Is 
you can run that math and then applied to all this is your customer acquisition cost. You can look at this and go, oh, what are the cost of my tools, my team members? Because I think that initially people get scared off when they hear, I can't, I mean, I can't invest a thousand leads and the time and energy for those to only get three deals. That sounds, that math sounds broken until you spend the time really calculating the costs uh, and just kind of hustling and finding ways to do it a little bit better and more efficiently. Um, but once you kind of get to a point where you're like, wait a minute, you know, the, the basic math should certainly be that the value of the deal that you close, some express it in different ways. We try to look at it where we can in terms of long-term value of a client, which we think the appropriate way to, to calculate that is average length of time you keep a client and the gross profit you generate from that client is your LTV. So in theory, okay, at least if the value of that client is higher than the cost to acquire them, okay, you're at least kind of breaking even-ish, right? Um, you're right. trying to get that bumped up there. And they talk about tech companies used to target 3X times that. But you're, you're basically just trying to keep that math in line. And so you, if you've got a good data, you can follow all that through and figure out where you can tweak and make adjustments to that process. Yeah, but even in our, like one of the things to think about, I guess, um, when we didn't realize it, we kind of learned the hard way was like the payback period when you move to a sales function, the non-partner sales function is basically you don't make money on any, it takes 10 months to pay off the commissions. On a recurring engagement. On, yeah, on, Like on a gross margin basis on those recurring basis. So like for us, we've, we've been at 10 months for quite a long time, actually. So we've yeah. been in about 10 months payback period, somewhere between nine and 12 always um, because our clients stay with us two to three years. Uh, on average, depending on what what year we're talking about, um, but um, so you that's something to think about too when you're thinking about strategies like this is that cash flow needed to fund ten months of uh, ten months of customer acquisition yeah. costs. It's it's front loaded because like the other way to grow is inorganically, right? Buying a firm, which you could for a long time, you could spread that payment over five years. Well, we do a lot of you know organic growth so that 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 all comes that cost comes up front and paid in the year and but pays back within 10 months so it's yeah. expensive well, but it's you're there cheaper, yeah it's cheaper long term than buying a firm for us right yeah. so it's we i think that, we, we've it. done that math on both sides and it was like yeah, yeah it's about 60 like our organic strategy costs about 60 cents on the dollar versus whatever multiple you're going to pay so if you yeah. you know so that and that's so, the, the thing to look out for there, and, and Matthew, we alluded to it a bit. We talked about the, determining the long-term value of a customer. You do need to, you really need to dive in. And yeah, I say things. the lifetime value of the customer. Value. Yeah. Um, thank you. Oh, but the, the, the thing we miss out on is the first time you do this, oftentimes you don't have data on what that lifetime is of a customer. So it's probably the first place I've seen, we did this initially and others do it, is you're making an estimate. And so that's probably one of the bigger estimates, but you make, and if you're significantly off there or being unreasonable, you could make a big mistake if you're not really tracking that because if well, that's off, we saw that happen in actuality when we we were losing people much quicker and we weren't really looking at churn data very well. We weren't looking at, hey, why- How fast they were leaving. That, that's critical in this model is to make sure you're really all over churn and watching that on a real-time basis 
because that will be a very strong leading indicator of some cash flow issues, of getting upside down, of brokenness. That if you let that run for too long, you're, you're going to get in a tough spot. Yeah, one of the things we're pretty conservative that we calculate lifetime value is we calculate off your initial engagement with us as opposed to typically when people work with us over time, they actually add services. So probably pretty conservative when we do our LTV to CAC comparisons because we do those real time off of an assumption versus off of actuals. So, right. Um, but that's, that's like, yeah. what, that's like advanced having an outbound sales team function. So we're yeah. not even there yet. So no, we're not. <laughs> and so in thinking about that, what do you, um, many fundamentals have been actually surprisingly consistent in this outbound strategy, what what have you seen that's probably changed the most from when we start first started doing this? Like what things like, oh, that's that's different now, or things we've had to adjust for in this model where you know you and I or the other partners don't sell? Well, the biggest thing we changed, just being transparent with people, is that the partners don't sell now. So when we started, if you remember, we wanted to know if this worked. Yeah. So we wouldn't let them sell Atlanta, which is our home base. That's right. I forgot. Because that was selling off our brand. So we wanted the outbound to work for the outbound sake. So I I actually love that strategy, right? Like I think it's really hard with marketing and sales to figure out what works, but having them not be able to call or cold call people in Atlanta was almost like protection for us, right? Because right. in the ecosystem, we were still doing relationship sales in Atlanta market. Like that was a true indicator of it being successful. If we got a client in Austin, Texas, or San Francisco, or New York, that was not trading on the Acuity brand or the Kenji or Matthew name, right? So we, we were convinced that it was successful then. So starting there was really helpful for me because I was, a, I mean, we were skeptical, right? Like right. we were like, like nobody does this in accounting. There must be a reason nobody does this in accounting. Um, but so I think the biggest thing has changed is when I stop selling and you stop selling. Yeah. And that meant all inbound and outbound went through the sales team. And when I saw the lift there, that's when I saw the lift from the scoping, the expectation setting, all that was much more systematized notes being in the CRM, like like the onboarding team have been set up for success, like all those things that we saw lift. That was the biggest change more than anything we mm. did in okay. sales, yeah. right? Yeah, I still yeah. feel like the sales still has that experimental culture, right? They're experiment, experiment messaging, experiment with calls, experiment with different tools. Like they still do all that. So that's the biggest change. I would say, yeah, I, I, I want to build on that for a second because I was coming through my mind before you said it. And that is something that is such a benefit to us and the other. If you do this as a firm is... You, it's the perfect place to experiment. It's really a great testing ground just for that because you can completely, without you being involved, go focus on a vertical, focus on what maybe an area of the country, focus on a new service line, 
and test that. Like, right. That's what ultimately what you're doing is grabbing testing data about does a message resonate with a particular business owner, whoever that customer you're hoping that customer to be. And I think that was something um, really helpful for us. Like real, really helpful. Like it really, it back to what, one of the reasons why we've noticed you getting out of this is I think it does help to speak in a way to clients uh, that's not just an accounting jargon. And kind of this exercise of outbound sales forces you to do that. You are absolutely having to communicate in a way that they will respond to. And good luck these days getting through inboxes and voicemails. It is really hard. So there's got to be something resonant with them in there. So I think that's a just a huge, huge benefit. The other one, uh, and I have to give huge shout outs to our sales team, in particular, the man, Tyler. Um, and that is... I've, he came to us when he was really young, almost right out of college. And he worked his way through that first role that Matthew talked about of the business development rep, sales development rep, and worked his way into an account exec, the closer. So he really learned that a lot about selling, but he also learned a tremendous amount about the organization. Uh, In fact, today, I think it's something we've noticed from being easily one of our youngest team members. He still is young. He has a really good understanding in some ways, a better understanding than a number of us accountants do about how acuity works because he has to describe it every day and set expectations around it. Um, He has great insights and feedback about what customers want. And so um, it's a lot of it is he's just an incredible guy. We're very lucky to have him as a colleague. But I think that that's a benefit of someone in sales is they're advocating on behalf of the customer almost everything else we do is so internally driven around the accountant team and having someone who that sales team will pick up the voice of the customer. And that's been beneficial when they get that experience. That's something I didn't expect. So uh, a number of other good reasons, experiments, bring that voice of the customer really into the, in, in a more demonstrable way back into the organization, even beyond just helping you close deals. But I think that's kind of, that's kind of been great. Um, what else on the sales side? I'm trying to think of things that other people were interested in there at the conference. Um, well, I think one thing, I don't know if people were interested in this in the conference, but things that we know that aren't really intuitive is that are important to this, like how you sell is understanding who you're selling to and the, and the ticket size. Mm. So if you're a mid-market firm and you're trying to get these 80K a year clients, right? Or 50K a year clients, you might have a different process. Understand we're talking about a $12,000 a year client, right? So $1,000 a month, our our early entry point is somewhere at 300, 300 and change a month, $400 say, so 400, so $4,800 a year. So that is another thing to think about when you're deciding whether to do this. This is a short sales cycle very important thing. So, but each step along the way, I still think you can do it with SDRs and AEs, but you might, if you're a hundred thousand dollar opportunity or a million dollar opportunity, the SDR would have to talk to people, yep, right? Absolutely. And, and and deal with stuff. And then they would have to map out the decision makers at the organization and do the, whatever account. So that's, a, that's like exactly what sales, right. If we, if we were selling, let's say it's 10 times the size of our average deal, let's say at least $100,000 with our average client, we would definitely change the way that they're selling. It would be 
lots of the same fundamentals, but it would be, I would definitely cut back. There would be, they wouldn't be going after a thousand at all. Maybe you you chop that down pretty significantly. And to your point, there is much more, they're prospecting, but there is much more research. So to Matthew's point is um, looking back through the organization and saying, hey, I'm not just going to go find that ICP, like we talked about earlier, and shove it in the system and kind of start focusing. It's going to be much more personalized. It's going to be, oh, they're connected to someone else we know here. You're going to start mapping out the org. You're start looking at it differently and taking more time with it because again, that strategy is going to be way more effective than just blasting out there. You you find you typically find there's someone, okay, maybe someone doesn't like the unsolicited outreach. Yeah. Even if you're trying to provide value, but also if it's something that's a low price point, that doesn't come off as strange. Now, if it's, you know, uh, it, it should be a higher dollar purchase, something coming through some form of a relationship or some form of research there, right? You well, can it's a definitely different. Like anecdotally, like I, I've observed that, like, kind of somewhere around two or three million dollars of revenue for the prospect side. Um, the sales process changes on our side, mm-hmm. right? Typically, at that volume or higher, like if they come in at that volume or higher, it adds a step. So usually, there's a second call with the closer, or the account executive, and an SME. So they'll pull in somebody with right. e-commerce specialty or crypto sales specialty. engineer. They used to call them. Or sales, yeah, SME sales, they're basically a, a subject matter expert, a sales engineer. But that's kind of pulling in somebody. Yeah. The nice thing about that that does, that also that we're doing good now is that's not one of the partners here, right? Just different than a lot of people. But like even if it was us, you would still have somebody running the process, right? I did that for a period of time. But I stopped that kind of when we brought in our crypto expert, and um, now he's able to do that, yeah, uh, as opposed to me uh, on the on the on the crypto calls, right? Yeah, absolutely right. Um, I'm gonna leave with one more of these, but like one more question before we land this thing. Um, what's been like a? Do you have a story or anything you remember that's been like a surprising to you of like, how did that work? Like, what's like? Things that just did not seem like, I can't believe that attracted attention. And I'll, I'll start, I'll go first and maybe this will plant some seeds, hopefully not take things away. But you alluded to this earlier of like the dumb message, right? The, the kind of, so it's been, uh, that's been one thing. That that's stupid wrong. gift. that like. Oh, said. you got to put a gift in there with like a dog or some, some pet or do something silly. Um, this used to be the place where I, I remember first seeing it was that they called the breakup email. And this is the, oh, you must be too busy to, you know, pick up because you're, you're busy riding a donkey through, you know, the sub-Saharan F, you know, you know, jungle or something, whatever, It'd just be some silly visual. And there was probably a period of time when like everybody started doing that. Like, cause it was, you're, it was the email within that cadence and sequence that Matthew mentioned. It was essentially just kind of like, all right, I get it. You're not interested. Like, see you later. And that thing started converting more people. Like a little bit of humor in it suddenly is like, okay, you seem like you're kind of funny and nice. I'll actually take the meeting. I'll take the demo. And that that's changed some now. I think that's kind of overplayed. But I remember being like, you got to be kidding me. That is what getting is getting people's attention. Not even the one message in our entire script that didn't even talk about accounting. That was the one that's converting deals. So I always remember that. What about you? Oh, I mean, we have this 50,000 person database to the people we like 
first, like, let's say we drag him through this poor process I feel so bad for. So I was always amazed when we were having a slow month, we'd be like, let's do a promo. And we do like $450 off onboarding. And we would send that out. And then they're booked through the end of the month because it had a time time period on it. Like it was like creating some urgency. Blows my mind that that's in accounting, that that's a trigger. We, you know, these are things we like to make fun of as like, well, we're accountants and professionals. I would, I've never used that kind of ridiculous, a coupon, coupon, you know, or a funny gif. Well, guess what? Like shame on us for like not, that's what experiments will teach you is that you're wrong. Oftentimes these things work in other places. And we tried everything. We've tried like free software subscriptions, things we thought were valuable. Um, But like, if you run a buy you know, BOGO, like stupid, like buy one month, get the second month free. Like, I mean, stupid five, 450 bucks off. I don't know why $450 works so well, but like we experiment with $250, $350, $750, $450 worked better than everything else so far. So it was just crazy. Have fun with it, folks. Get in there, have fun with it. It is weird. People will be endlessly entertained by your crazy panel stories at conferences, just like they were with Matthew. You, you, do, get you do have to have somebody like constantly un, uh, uh, re-entering like their Gmail. So, cause they get banned so often from Gmail. There's like, a bunch of things that go easy. wrong. You're, There's you, a bunch get, of stuff that Get ready wrong. for your email administration, all your sales, you know, CRM stuff getting complicated. There's a million other things happening there. But if you keep in perspective of like, you get to run some pretty crazy experiments. And ultimately if it works, you get to get out of selling and it'll get better. And it's just math. Just math. It's just math. Folks, do you hear that? Matthew said, sales is just math. Don't be afraid of sales. It's just math. Okay. Let's rate some beers. I'm sure I will once again, for the millionth time, screw up my screen sharing. Oh, it worked. It worked. The Hogarden. The Hogarden gets a 1.5. Really, you're in a grumpy mood, dude. Dude, I mean, can you see this? I'm gonna come back to the screen here, but like, look how much I got through. When when have I not finished a beer on Drink We Think? And I'm sorry, Hogarden, that that's a Kenji penalty from Chicago that got laid upon you. That's not very fair, but it is what it is. That's just what that's what's happening today. Okay, let's go back in here, Matthew. So the ruthless rye IPA from Sierra Nevada. Think about that while I pull this up here. The ruthless rye fluctuating here. There it is. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how to go here. Okay. I think uh, I'm gonna go 3.5 on this one. Okay. Not so bad. Better than better than I would for a normal IPA. Like lots better than a normal IPA. So, so that the color, the depth that color impacts you greatly. Yeah. The color does impact me greatly. So well. Next time we're on, um, I'll, I'll hopefully be in a better position to judge beers than I currently am at this moment. But I'm uh, gonna go drink more beers because I didn't go as hard as you this week. So, you no, know, that's typical. But you're smarter than me. We all know that I'm funner than you. You're smarter than me, which is why you're in better shape of things today. That that describes everything about why today you're in better shape than me. That said, 
it was great seeing a whole bunch of friends uh, at the conference. We look forward to some more of those again. And hey, all of our friends who are listening, we are appreciative that you listen, subscribe, drop some comments. And, um, and if you'd like to sponsor the podcast, yes. what do you think? All you have to do. I think we're a little overdue. For, I feel like we need some guests. I'm going to work on some guests. Oh, but, I got one for you. I got one for you. We got it. Great. Okay. We'll get some guests on here, but um, we'll also make sure too. We've had some good feedback about people like us sharing all the crazy weird things we do in Acuity. And so we'll make sure we try to keep this firm oriented focus. So you can hear about all the wild ways that not just us, but other accounting friends are building their firms. But thanks for joining. Cheers, everyone. <laughs>